So, on a turn of events, we have the Raspberry Ape on my podcast. Look at that. There we go. There we go, buddy. So, where did Raspberry Ape come from, out of interest? Probably asked that a thousand times, but go on. Um, so, it's actually a very, it's a very long and interesting story. You sure you've got time for it? Let's get comfy. So, uh, I was, uh, when I was a kid, young, about three years old, I was at the zoo with my family, and being the mischievous little kid that I am, uh, uh, crawled off and ended up, believe it or not, falling into a gorilla enclosure. Harambe, yeah. Yeah, very. Everyone freaks out, you know, thinking that this uh, gorilla's going to come over, he's going to rip me to pieces. They start screaming, panicking, only friends the gorilla even more. And, uh, you know, the warden goes to get a gun. They think they're going to the, they're gonna have to take out the gorilla in order to save this silly child. Someone in the uh, in the crowd, however, quick thinking, he was eating a pack of raspberries, threw them into the enclosure, and he didn't even realize, but that just happened to be the favorite treat of said gorilla. Gorilla went over to get the raspberries, buying everyone enough time to get in there and get me out without hurting that gorilla, and that kind of, that event stayed with me. Uh, when, I, when, when, I, when I was first asked what my nickname would be, I thought back to that raspberry ape, and that's what I went with. Wow, <laughs> I did. I've never heard that story before, and I'm so glad I asked that. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say, "Oh, this I found in the gorilla enclosure. I had to use my guillotine series available online." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> At young age, it's instinctive. Wow, I know. Born with it. Yeah. How do we even go from there? I think we've already started. <laughs> we've already peaked. I think a minute in. Okay. Um, Okay, let's go on the current hot topic of quarantine and the current climate. How are you getting on? How's things? I'm not too bad, mate. Yeah, I'm not too bad. Uh, yeah, I um, I miss choking people, that's for sure. But otherwise, I'm I'm doing okay. What about training? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I miss training as yeah, well. Yeah, 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 I miss training as well. Uh, two separate things, but I guess there's a uh, connected somewhat. But yeah, no, no. It's it sucks not to be able to fight uh, and to grapple. You know, something. Uh, the the violence is. Uh, is definitely missing. It's something that I've lived with for a very long time, and always kept me pretty level. Um, I think I think it, it it's made easier by the fact that everyone's in the same boat. Um, I think if uh, an individual was out and everyone else was getting on with their life and getting better and improving, then then it would be a lot harder. But when you know that every well, pretty much everyone's in the same boat. There's a lot of people who have been a little bit sneaky getting out and meeting up and going training, which isn't something that I've done. That pisses me off a little bit just for that reason that, you know, I feel like if everyone's in the same boat, it's a lot, it's a lot better. But, but yeah, apart from not training, very, I'm incredibly fortunate to have built a, uh, well, to already train in my home gym. So I haven't had to change any of my supplementary training. Uh, I'm doing a lot more of it, enjoying it. I'm very lucky to have that. If I didn't have the gym in my garage, then uh, then I probably would not be in such a good place. So for anyone who isn't familiar with Dan's setup, go on to um, joe.com over here. You know, the, um, the documentary on your home gym, because it's not just a yeah, standard, like, you know, running machine in the corner. It's the... Uh, According quick... to Joe, it's the best home gym in the country. Oh, that's on the CV. <laughs> <laughs> it is an arsenal of every kind of equipment you could ever need. You think, like, something's a bit excessive. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah 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 i guess uh that's it's it's just normal for me but a lot of people see it and they're just like what why don't you have any normal stuff whatsoever <laughs> got like one bun one one bench and one normal bar and then all the other stuff is stuff that most people haven't even seen before 
Well, this is it. It's very unique. So talk to me through your strength and condition stuff. Obviously, you've spoken about it quite a few sort of times, but yeah, more, sure. more about the origin to how you started and what you started mm-hmm. doing and then how it's kind of developed to what it is now. Yeah, so I my introduction to um, strength and conditioning came when I read a book called Dinosaur Training by a guy called Brooks Kubik. And that was like the Bible to me. You know, that that um, I read that book when I was 16 years old, I remember, because I just I think I brought it to the Europeans in like 2007. Um, so I I was 16 at the time and I just finished reading this book and it instilled this burning desire to be strong. You know, it's kind of the, the whole idea with the dinosaur training is the dinosaurs are the old time strong men, you know, like the dino that they're all extinct now, but we're trying to get them back. Uh, and, and that was pretty much the philosophy. It was all about strength over, uh, you know, looking good. And, and, and I guess that's the reason I've never really been a member of a commercial gym. And I, and I just, when I go there and obviously now I've kind of drifted even further away from, from anything that I could do in a, in a commercial gym. But even early on when I would, I didn't have a lot of equipment. And, uh, one of the things that Brooks says is, uh, he, you know, he, he, these garage gorillas, he said, you know, build, get all of the stuff that you need in your own gym. So I bought myself a, 2.5 inch hand uh handled or 2.5 inch diameter thick bar which is incredibly thick like it was too much basically uh but i didn't know at the time even 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 these days i train with a two inch bar i don't even train with a 2.5 inch bar to be honest with you it's very very thick you can't even mm-hmm. connect you know get close to connecting your hands around it or i can't i got don't have huge hands uh and i bought a 2.5 inch bar and like 90 kilos of plates and i would uh i didn't have any space i'd keep in the garage but the garage was full and i would just go on the i'd go into the front garden and bench press off of flat and cardboard boxes stacked on top of each other and deadlift and uh, and and for a long time i just trained with a friend of mine from college and we would just do the same workout uh three times a week which was like all of the main stuff, but, but like didn't have a rack, didn't have anything, just had a bar and 90 kilos. That was it. Uh, and it was, um, pr- press like overhead press floor press. Cause I didn't have a bench deadlift, um, bicep curl. And that was it. Then I put some hooks in the walls and got some handles and started doing some pull-ups and then I got the game changer and I got some farmer's walk bars. So that's kind of how, how it all started. Really. I think, for me, there's something really nice about having a home gym because having a home gym is like planting a seed, you know, mm. and then watching it grow. And this tiny little seed grows and grows and grows and maybe it grows eventually into this huge forest. Whereas when you go to a commercial gym, you're walking into a very beautifully cultivated garden of someone else's imagination and creation. Uh, for me, uh, so I have a real affinity, a real connection with my gym because everything, you know, you know, there was everything in there at one point wasn't there. And I was the one who put it in there and decided that it was going to go there or someone gave me a bit of equipment or I found a bit of equipment or I found a fucking rock or, you know, whatever. So, uh, so yeah, it all started with Brooks cubic, uh, dinosaur training, um, which was, which is a great book. I, I, I've, I've always advised everyone to read that book if they're interested in the style of strength training that I do, because then you'll see where I come from. Um, and then I, and, and then I met a strength conditioning coach and we got more into powerlifting, uh, and then bit, bit more into strongman. <clears throat> and then, um, that gym closed down and then I just kind of got into more the old time strongman and 
now it's stone lifting and playing around and exploring different movements and stuff like that. So yeah, you got you got you got to keep changing. You can't. I've I've been lifting for over 10 years now, 12, 13 years. Uh, you can't keep on doing the same thing for 13 years because of the law of diminishing returns. There's just no point. So keep it varied and keep exploring and understand why you're doing stuff and keeps it interesting. Well, that's really interesting, that concept of it being like a project and being something you build and make it your own, you know, your own mm. interpretation of it, the whole thing. Whereas yeah. Yeah. I've never really seen it as that. You always sort of, I don't know, like the sort of commercial sort of carbon copies, they can't yeah. become really soulless, whereas that's the complete opposite. It's literally your baby. It started from your ghetto sort of powerlifting to you know, an actual, the Raspberry Apes, you know, Iron Kingdom. Yeah, 100%. Iron Cage. I, I, and you know, it never, uh, it 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 never uh, stops growing. You know, I'm always looking for the next thing to add to it. You know, really at this stage, the only problem is I've, I've run out of space, um, and uh, you know, kind of the next stage for me, really the next big leap forward, is to expand it into a public gym, basically. Oh, that's that's controversial mm. though. It stops being a home gym. It stops being there. That's it. At some point, the the bird has to fly the nest, right? Oh, yeah. Very heavy so, bird. At, at some point, yeah, very heavy bird. <laughs> at some point down the line, a big big old vulture or something. Uh, at some point down the line, um, it, it, it might be difficult for me to do to give it up and open it to the world, and maybe some of my stuff gets fucked with and lost or taken. But yeah, eventually, uh, the long term goal is to expand the cave which is what it's always been called and and and, and uh combine that with a gym of my own with uh jiu-jitsu there as well and that gives me a huge amount of space to continue to expand and grow it and take it to the next level well that's another interesting point as well we'll go back onto strength conditioning specifically but that yeah your own project the sense of the raspberry ape influence into mill hill that whole no gi system that has gone from being a class to a whole your identity almost and then since finishing there what is your sort yeah. of preference from there? Then? Would you have your own super jujitsu school of like mat space and then the cave and then everything else? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know that that's and and it, it's kind of a you know goal really was to take a couple of years off of teaching and 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 focus on my competitions and I haven't I didn't compete as much as I'd like to last year and I haven't competed as much as I like like to over the last four three or four years because. Um, I've been busy teaching and uh, doing seminars, a lot of seminars as well, and a lot of traveling and stuff like that. So I wanted to take a bit of time off and, and focus on myself for a little bit uh, and try and compete for a couple of years and then look into opening my own gym. Uh, but then this virus has happened and, and, and now that's kind of really up in the air. Uh, you know, I was meant to be training basically like a professional athlete again with no commitment to anyone else over these last couple of months since I got back from my last seminar tour, uh, which I haven't been able to do. <laughs> In fact, instead of it being the most intense training of the last 10 years, it's been the least intense training of the last 10 years because I haven't done anything. Um, but yeah, eventually I would like to uh, open a gym that combines, you know, for, for me, the strength training and the uh, grappling go hand in hand. That's something that in the past, was always the case you know uh if you look at a lot of ancient the ones that are still around or even if the, the ones that aren't around uh, grappling arts grappling is the old and wrestling and grappling when, when i say grappling i mean any or, or mm. jiu-jitsu or judo or you know whatever 
Grappling has, is the oldest sport in the world. There's no doubt about that. I have zero doubt about that. Uh, and every culture in the world had some form of of their own personalized style of grappling. And they all had strength and conditioning that went along with that. If you look at the Persian wrestlers with their big heavy clubs and their big wooden shields that they would train with, or you see the, uh, you know, even even a lot more recently, strongmen uh, 100 years ago or so uh, were, were all wrestlers at the same time. So for me, I think we lost a lot of the connection between physical culture and wrestling uh, or grappling when the Brazilians created Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because they marketed um, they marketed uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as something for someone who doesn't need to be strong. Now, the reality is all of the Gracies did a lot of strength and conditioning. Like, those guys worked out. They were in really good shape. They worked out hard. They just couldn't really promote any strength and conditioning alongside Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because it contradicted... Hmm. The brand really it contradicted the fact that you could be small and weak because because how, how do you go look but you never find a, a, a small weak wrestler you never find one that's not who it's marketed towards like wrestling is a hard sport i'm not talking about jiu-jitsu now i'm just talking about wrestling freestyle greco-roman they are all physical specimens because they train hard not because they're born that way but because they train very hard from a young age um, so with wrestling, it doesn't appeal to the general public because you couldn't have a 40 year old guy walk off of the street into a wrestling class. It's going to get the shit kicked out of him. So they needed to market Brazilian Jiu Jitsu to a wide audience. You've got to go, you don't need to be big. Don't need to be strong. You don't need to be fit, which is true. Uh, but it, but it means that you get a real disconnect, especially at the higher levels. Yeah. Everyone's obviously doing strength and conditioning, but I think it's actually the mid level that, that, that are lacking from that obvious uh sort of symbiosis between strength and conditioning and, and and grappling and for me that's you know part of my mission is to reconnect those two things something you touched on there which i think is really interesting is we specified grappling and that in itself is a martial art not just jiu-jitsu or wrestling specifically that people always see clips of like double legs and all this and think oh that's jiu-jitsu but no it's wrestling oh no it's jiu-jitsu no it's this it's that and the other and then it's these applicable skills that have been sort of, what's the word? I want to say cherry-picked almost, for lack of a better word. Sort of what where jiu-jitsu has come from is almost battle-tested through different martial arts and where it's become this almost quote-unquote finished product. And then along with that, the strength and conditioning side, because this is always the caveat that you get your um, like really bendy, like really like little blue belt who's, I don't know, 60-something kilos, and then you get big bad Dan Strauss. Big black belt <laughs> saying you've got both jiu-jitsu, but what happens when jiu-jitsu is different levels, you know, different strength as well. Yeah. Yeah, but then you look at like a, you know, look at Rafa Mendes mm. and uh, Guy Mendes, like those guys, those guys that like fucking bodybuilders when they competed, you know, the guys are jacked. They're small, they're fast, they're flexible, but they're jacked. You know, even even the Miao brothers who who their entire game is based on flexibility, those guys do strength and conditioning every day as well, mm. you know. So, so everyone at the high level is doing it. I think they they, they just don't, you know. They do talk about it a little bit, but but yeah, I think that it just needs people. Well, yeah, going back to what you said first, which was, you know, for me, I don't 
when you have a grappling sport, the way that the sport looks is judged purely on the rules, is, 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 is dictated, sorry, purely on the rules, right? Mm. So if you, um, one of those rules being you wear a jacket and trousers, so now, now it looks different, it looks like judo, you know? And the rules are now that you can't grab the legs, so it looks like modern day judo. When, with the throwing or you you say you go you're going to wear a jacket you can't grab the legs and it's all about throwing someone onto their back you have judo then you go okay well now you're still wearing the same jacket and trousers but this time you can grab the legs and if you pin someone on the ground it doesn't end it you've got to submit them well now you've got brazilian jiu-jitsu you know mm. and then you take the gi off and you say well you can't do heel hooks so you got ibjjf or Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Nogi Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Then you go, you can do whatever you want. You can heel hook, you can neck crank, you can slam, and you've got something that looks more like what people would call submission wrestling now, um, ADCC style stuff. So for me, I just do grappling, right? Mm. Because when I grapple, I have the choice to grapple with no rules at all. You know, but obviously no striking, but with all submissions legal, neck cranks and heel hooks and wrist locks and whatever else you want to do, uh, there's no rules. For me, you can't call that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. You can't call that submission wrestling. For me, that's just grappling. It's using everything. It's just every way that your body can work against another person's body without hitting them. Well, that is really interesting as well. And again, it gets very specific to what you're trained towards as well. Because obviously, if you are predominantly a grappler, but you're competing for an IBJJF tournament, you need to then transition your sort of skill set whereas doing it the reverse way around being primarily an IBGGF competitor to then try and go no rules doesn't seem to make sense if you see what I mean so yeah it makes sense to be, have that foundation base of a all-rounded grappler and then trying to reduce that instead of trying to increase what you don't have so regards of so we'll go to competitions for a second Cleos talk to me how that came about um so Cleos came about, we've been running for a while now, maybe mm. like five or six years. Um, a friend of mine, uh, one of my students, a training partner of mine called Michael Hawkins, he, uh, he said, Daniel, I have an idea. Um, let's go for a coffee and let's have a chat over it. And he had the idea, so it was fully Michael's idea. Uh, he had the idea to uh, run a tournament. He's an avid competitor. Um, he's been jiu-jitsu for a long time. He's also a very smart guy. And he said, I want to run a tournament. I want to run a jiu-jitsu tournament. I think that we can run a, well, he said, I think I can run, as in him, can run a better jiu-jitsu tournament than all the other tournaments out there. Uh, and and he, he said he wanted me to be on board because, you know, I'd be a better face for it and I'd be able to market it a lot better. Me and Michael work incredibly well together because we are complete opposites. Michael is very smart he's very sensible he's very numbers based he's very logical he's very by the book uh he's the admin right the, the guy's the perfect admin i wouldn't you know he, he's the absolute best at doing that and if michael was to run a tournament by himself he would run the most well-organized um on time perfectly run but most boring tournament in the world Okay, so that's what he had. He had everything, but he didn't have the flair. Now, me on the other hand, Woo. not very good with the numbers, not very, not, not very good, uh, not particularly by the book, not very good at organizing. 
uh, but I could add a little bit of pizzazz to it. Uh, so that's how Cleos was created. You know, I, I was sort of in charge of um, the marketing and the uh, coming up with the name and coming up with the branding and getting the artwork done. And I decided that we were going to we were going to make. Uh, originally, it was going to be. Um, I wanted to give out something, you know, uh, the belts had been done. We didn't, we didn't like the idea of giving out cash. Cash is boring. You mm. know, people love cash, but it's boring. It doesn't set you apart. Everyone's done it. And I like to try and be original. Um, so we didn't want to do cash. Uh, Nagas done swords uh, and belts. Um, and so we didn't want to do swords. So, so I started thinking about doing, uh, we were going to do axes. I was going to buy some axes, uh, some big battle axes, and then see whether I could get uh, Cleos scrappling engraved on the side of the axes. I was talking to a friend of mine who uh, is, a, is a welder, is a fabricator, and he said, I can make you a hammer. So I said, okay, I'll tell you what, you make us a hammer for this one, and then the next one we'll do a sword, and the next one we'll do a shield, and then, you know, we'll do a spear, yeah. and it was be different every single time. Uh, and we, we he made these hammers, and they were so good and went down so well uh, that we thought we had to do the hammers again. So that that was that that's how the hammers came. Uh, and then, you know, obviously we've done hammers for all of them, uh, but the hammers change because the theme changes. So after the first couple, we had Cleos one, we had Cleos two, and then I think Cleos three. You know, you know how the UFC um, the UFC went the opposite way around, but the early UFCs they were all named, yeah. Mm. Their crazy name, you know, UFC, uh, the 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 brawl of the Royal Albert Hall is one that I remember. You know, you have Bedlam or Crossfire or Apocalypse and stuff like that. They all had crazy names, uh, and then they just got to like number 150, and they were like, okay, we can't stop keep thinking of names. We're just going to name them. Uh, we went the opposite way around. We thought we got one, we got two. Okay, well you can't just keep on going two, three, four, five indefinitely. So we thought, you know, give it a cool name. So the first one we named was uh sun's out guns out okay because we just did an event in the summer and the the t-shirts the that we made were sleeveless so that that was that one uh, and then we thought okay let's not just give it a cool name let's actually build a theme around you know build the tournament around the theme so then we started doing we did games of Thro game of thrones or bruce lee or predator or uh terminator um rick and morty you know like we, yeah. we just started doing stuff that we thought was fun but really the whole the whole idea between cleos is to make the tournament that we wanted to compete in obviously we never could but we were both competitors and we competed all over the world many many times and we wanted to create what we thought was the most fun tournament to compete in and with his organizational skills and with my, uh, you know, I, I, I make sure it's fun and he stops me from basically blowing all our money on indoor pyrotechnics. Uh, so we balance each other nicely and we end up in the middle and we have a, what, what we hope to be is a good fun tournament. Well, this is what has always sort of resonated as that sort of grapplers tournament as such. It's a tournament for people who, you know, who do it themselves. But one thing I wanted to sort of touch on as well with this is obviously loads of your students compete in it. What is that like for you? Because obviously it's not only the coach's pressure for the student to perform. It's also, it's also your tournament and that kind of, I don't know. Yeah. So, so, you know, so one of the things about Cleos is, um, I, th I think a lot that you, you have major tournaments, you have big tournaments, you have stuff like 
you know, your Europeans, your worlds and stuff like that. And then you have your big UK tournaments like the English and the British and, 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 and things like that. If you're not a major tournament, don't take yourself so seriously. And I think this is the problem that we see from so, so many tournaments, which is people are running the, I'm not going to start naming names because I'll offend people, but people will run a small local tournament. <laughs> What's that? Joe Blog Jiu-Jitsu. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, people will run like a, a, a local tournament and they'll run it like an IBJJF tournament. IBJJF tournaments aren't fun. IBJJF tournaments are prestigious. There is a difference there. You go to an IBJJF tournament to get a medal and to get a position and to get a title that matters. If you're going to the local tournament, your title doesn't matter. Have fun. So that's what we wanted to build the tournament around was having fun. Um, and, and, and that's kind of, you know, that was the whole point of it. For that reason, we do stuff, you know, it's very laid back. You know, it's very relaxed. The atmosphere there is designed to be relaxed. We play music and it's all pretty chill. Uh, we have a repertoire charge um, because what repertoire charge does, again, for uh, competitors, it gives them a minimum of two matches and sometimes a maximum of crazy number of eight, nine, ten matches, even without the absolute division. You know, you can have a crazy number of matches uh, at Cleo's tournament in the big divisions. Um, Repercharge uh, gives people the opportunity to compete more. So what ended up happening because of that is it became a really good tournament for beginners because it wasn't super expensive. It wasn't, um, it was really laid back. It was relaxed. It was fun. And you had at least two matches. So for that reason, it became very, very popular for beginners. Now, when we had the, uh, when we run the gear events, we never really had a huge number of people from Mill Hill competing. Uh, but I had, I had nothing to do, or I had nothing to do at the time with uh, any of the, um, any of the, the gi stuff that was being done at Mill Hill. I was just a no gi coach. So when it came to the no gi tournaments and I had a load of beginners that I'd pushed to compete, then it was a little bit more of an issue. Uh, I was lucky on a few occasions when we had a lot of people from Mill Hill competing uh, that I was able to uh, work out with Mike to basically get, because usually I referee, to get someone else to referee, which allowed me to um, to uh, coach my guys pretty much the entire day, especially the white belt day, uh, and, and not kind of have the um, the difficult position of running back. What you don't want is you don't want to see and you see it all the time and it's really bad, which is you've got a referee who's refereeing all of the matches in a, in a division and then his buddy or his student walks onto the mat and he jumps off, walks straight over to the side of the mat, coaches his buddy to win or his student to win and then walks back in and continues to ref the rest of the division. You don't really want to see that. You know, it does mm. happen, but you don't want to make that something that happens super regularly. Um so for that reason, uh, where possible, I either ref my guys or and, and don't coach at all, or I'll try and step away from refing. Now, when I ref my guys, that is pretty much the worst position that they could be in because I am especially harsh when uh, when refereeing people that, um, that that I train with because I know that uh, that people are going to be watching. And thinking the referee is a teammate 
or a coach of mm-hmm. this guy competing, he's going to go light on him. So what happens sometimes accidentally is I end up being way harsher on my own students whilst they're competing when I'm a referee than uh, on someone that I don't know. Well, I guess so, you... yeah. So, uh, you, you usually you want usually you want you want your coach to ref you, but in this case you don't want your coach to ref you. Well, this is it because you've been scrutinised. You've got to keep that sort of, sort of non-biased position okay. as well, because exactly. otherwise you won't be allowed to ref anyway. But on the sort of subject of um, different styles of events and Cleos being fun, is there any opportunity for say a quintet style and Cleos, like a gym versus gym kind of thing, or like a I don't know different formats and just trying out different kind of styles? Yeah. Yeah, so I, absolutely, you know, this is something uh, this is something that I've wanted to do for many years is, is to, uh, and, and, and you know, we were planning a tournament, a few tournaments this year. Obviously, it's probably probably not going to happen at all this year, or if it will be, it will be very late this year. Uh, but I spoke to Mike, and I actually would like to, and I've spoken about this on my podcast a few times, um, I'd like to run a... I think we usually run two or three events a year. I'd like to run another event that is completely, for lack of a better word, non-canon to the rest of the events. So that uh, every year I could run one tournament with a completely new rule set, never before seen. Every every single one, completely different. Never even heard of it. Because I think, look, is Quintet the most exciting way of doing grappling? absolutely i genuinely believe that quintet format is the most exciting way that you can do a show but it doesn't really it doesn't really work to do a local tournament like uh quintet quintet's exciting because it's a big fucking stage and it's exciting and there's great grapplers and you don't know who's going to fight who it doesn't really work when you don't know any of the grapplers and i think it will be fun for it'll be fun for some athletes but i think that that's small picture you know i think quintet do quintet EBI do EBI, and I think that we can come up with stuff ourselves. Uh, so there's lots of different um, there's lots of different ideas that I had to run uh, rule sets in grappling in Cleos, sorry, Cleos concept uh, tournaments, um, and make up completely ridiculous but really entertaining and really fun uh, rule sets for grappling tournaments. So that that will come in the future. Now that is really interesting. On top of that kind of thing, in regards of the current, we'll take IPGF format of like a competition match. Do you like the fact it's one round, one five minute or six or whatever minute stint, or would you prefer it to be broken up into separate increments like an MMA? Uh, look, for someone who doesn't have very good cardio like myself, I would much prefer if it was split into rounds. Um, I think the problem that you have is that every single rule set out there you will eventually, and some will take longer than others, you will eventually find a way to game that rule set, right? Mm. It doesn't matter what the rule set is. If you watch them, and so what, what you see a lot of the time is um, a new rule set comes out and it's super exciting. Everyone thinks this is the way forward and then eventually everyone realize how to play the game and then suddenly it's not so interesting. And the perfect example of that is, of course, EBI, because EBI, the first couple of tournaments, when people didn't re- really un- thinking about it too much, they were just going for it. Um, it was super entertaining. And then people started to think about, strategize, how am I going to beat the system? Because every, if you have rules, you will have strategy. It's as simple as that. 
everything has strategy and uh, you can't really get around doing that unless they never have time to generate a strategy so for me uh yeah you know it, it IBJJF have one 10 minute round. So what do you do? Uh, Meta Morris make it a 20 minute round. Okay. And then, uh, you know, Polaris make it a 15 minute round. And I've done a, I did a, the uh, grapple nation heavyweight sub only tournament. And it was a 10 minute round split into a six minute round followed by a four minute round. You know, it, w whatever you do, if you continue to do it, it will get stale eventually. What I'm saying is I'm saying do a tournament that no one's ever competed in before. And then when they're still thinking about how to gain that system, you do a completely different one they haven't competed in before, you know? Well, this is a change before you get a chance to figure out. I mean, that that in itself is really interesting. And regards of... I mean, Metamorphs is a throwback anyway. I'm trying to remember when um, Jeff Glover came out from um, commentating to jump in mid-match. But anyway, <laughs> that was... Um, yeah, that was, that was Metamorphs. Yeah, it's mental. Um, yeah. Well, quick one for you regards of, like, your competitions and stuff and your matches. Do you ever get starstruck? Like, when you're having these big, high-profile, like, big Polaris matches, you think, wow, this is a UFC legend. I'm about to get, like, strangled this man. <laughs> um, so and so forth. Uh, yes. Yes and no. Um, I think uh, the only time that that really happened was, was against uh, Sakuraba. Um, but, 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 but that was... But I think... You know, I always talk about this match, uh, but I was very lucky in how that match happened and that that match happened and it allowed me to be starstruck, you know, without going over something that I've gone over many times. Essentially, I was fortunate enough to compete against Sakuraba, who is my hero and always has been since I've been, you know, since I've been doing martial arts. Um, or before I was doing martial arts, when I was just watching martial arts, uh, I was very lucky because the format, and it just so happened that I'd already submitted two people which meant that I had no pressure pressure to submit Sakuraba, right? So I, di I, didn't, I didn't go into that match with a competitive spirit, if that makes sense. Mm. So for that reason, I could fully enjoy it. Uh, where, whereas, for example, when I competed against Jake Shields, um, I went in with a very competitive spirit. And for that reason, you don't really get too starstruck. You know, I think sometimes it's not what you can get sometimes is you can be um, you can give someone too much respect. It's something that can happen, which is you believe in their ability so much that you, it affects the way that you play your game. And that if you played your game how you would usually play your game as if you didn't know them, then it would be different. But because you it's not necessarily being starstruck, but because you know them so well, because they're a famous fighter, uh, you give them too much respect and you end up throwing your own game off. So the only time that I've really got uh, starstruck is with Sakuraba, but only be I think mainly because I think I would have got starstruck regardless because of who he is. Uh, but but um, I got more starstruck because I was able to uh, be a lot more present in that match in a less competitive way, way than in most of my matches, or than really in any other match I've, ha I've ever had. Do you still have his mask? Did he give you his mask afterwards? Yeah, do you want to see it? Obviously. <laughs> yeah, give me two seconds. Is it? Is it? Is it? This podcast has been videoed, right? Well, I'm having the video call now. It's be audio only, but I'm going to enjoy it regardless. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Cool. So Dan's going to go get his Sakuraba mask. And 
whilst we're eagerly awaiting. This episode is sponsored by Mauler MMA. Use code FCMMA20 for 20% off on all Mauler products on, M- on MaulerMMA.com. My most, my most prized possession on a, wait, get it out. So yeah, oh fuck it, I'm going to put it on now. Oh wow. You've got to finish off the podcast with it on, I think. Look at that. Need to need to trim my beard if I want this to fit on properly. Wow, this is this is really taking a turn. <laughs> it's a shame people can't see it, eh? Wait, let me get a thing for Instagram. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, oh, let's let's whilst we pretend like you're not wearing the mask, we're carrying as normal. So, okay, okay. Whilst in quarantine, here's a question from me: Are you going to grow your hair back the way you used to have it when you used to compete with the big sort of afro? <laughs> Is uh, I've always I've always had relatively short hair all my life, and um, uh, at one point I just decided that um, fuck it, I wonder what my hair looks like if I just let it grow. I think I grew I think I grew it for about eighteen months altogether, Um, and to be honest with you, one, it looked pretty terrible. (laughs) Okay, full stop. And two, um, it's incredibly inconvenient when you grapple. So so. yeah, I, I remember it, it just, yeah, if it had looked incredible, I might have let that slide, but it didn't look particularly good. And um, and it was also super inconvenient. So it's unlikely that I will grow it back. Um, but um, but who knows? I've, I have come. I have cut my own hair since I've been in quarantine uh, and it came out OK. Uh, but yeah, who knows? Who knows? I did think about it. I did think about it. And another one as well. Whilst um, on the topic of podcasts, like you know, Fistica podcast available on iTunes and Spotify, um, (laughs) your podcast. How did that come about? Um, So, to be honest, I was I never really listened to any podcasts. I'd heard about podcasts for many years, and obviously knew about Joe Rogan's podcast. He's sort of one of the most famous podcasts out there, still is. Um, But I didn't listen to them much, and it was a combination. There was um around about 2015 uh 16 no, but about 2015 i uh did two things that took up a lot of time which was walking the dog because i got a new dog and driving around many many hours driving through seminars and i used to listen to music when i was walking the dog and when i was driving and it just got really repetitive really boring so i thought fuck it i'm gonna try listen to some podcasts so I started listening to Joe Rogan's podcast and I kind of got into listening to podcasts full stop. And I thought, you know, you know, I think as many people do, if you want to hear people talking, you want to hear people talk, people talk about the stuff that you're interested in. And of course I'm interested in jujitsu and more specifically interested, you know, in jujitsu in the UK. So I look for some UK Brazilian jujitsu podcasts and I didn't really find many, uh, ones that I thought were, 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 were really, really good. So I thought, fuck it, I'm going to do one myself and uh bought bought the microphones and sat down with my buddy and 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 that was the beginning of it and yeah that's been running for the last four years or so the whole time dan was telling that he was still wearing the sakuraba mask um (laughs) 
So with... I'm going to take off that's pretty hot. Oh, I was going to say, that's quite uncomfortable. That's fine. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't work as... Doesn't work as well when you have a beard. I think I might next time I want to wear that. I think I'm gonna to have to uh, trim my beard a little bit. Just gonna waterboard with it on. Um, so with your podcast <laughs> in itself, like for example, you had Kurt on, and then afterwards he came to your gym and you rolled and everything else. What is like? Yeah. Who's the, what was that like? <laughs> Look, okay. Kurt Sianda. So what I do, and this is obviously there's a lot of podcasts that that do exactly what you're doing now, which is they, uh, in fact, the majority of podcasts do what you're doing now, which is they, they take advantage of uh, the fact that we have modern technology and we can do video calls and we can chat the people uh, over the internet. Um, I don't do that just because it's, that that's my personal preference. And what that means is uh, the advantage is that all of the interviews that I do have an incredibly high sound quality. Um, it means that I've met all of the people that I've interviewed. Uh, and of course, the disadvantage is that I don't get to interview the scope of people that um, yourself would be able to interview or anyone else who does uh, interviews over Skype or over online. They can talk to because, you know, for example, now I'm, I'm stuck in lockdown. There's no podcast. There's not going to be podcasts for the last couple of months. There's probably not going to be podcasts for a few more months. You know, that's just something I can't change. Whereas a lot of people are still continuing to put out really great content now. Um, so for that reason, that I only meet with people in person. Uh, I exhaust my immediate, um, the immediate field of people around me geographically quite quickly which means whenever someone from abroad comes over who i'd like to talk to i'll just get messaging them or message the person who's brought them over a lot of the time it doesn't happen uh, but very rarely very occasionally i'll manage to nab someone whilst they're traveling and be able to have a chat with them and kurt was one of those people who i very ambitiously uh, tried to get hold of to uh, set up a podcast with him and miraculously uh, through his manager i managed to sort that out um kurt is a crazy crazy character um and it was a crazy crazy podcast the guy got super drunk super high and i basically had to stop the podcast uh because he got super and 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 uh, a lot of people commented because i know he went into rehab uh, about six months ago or so um a lot of people commented, like, I can't believe you got him wasted. What do you mean I got him <laughs> wasted? Do you think I have any say or control over what the fuck Kurt Osiander does? Uh, Kurt arrived. He was already drunk when he when I picked him up. Um, brought a, an entire bottle of whiskey with him and drunk three quarters of a bottle of whiskey during the podcast. Um, absolutely no influence from me whatsoever. Uh, but, yeah, so I stopped the podcast afterwards because, you know, he was getting more and more drunk and it was kind of just going to go on a kind of off topic so stop the podcast and um he said he wanted to go out so i said uh, i'd love to go out with you kurt which i genuinely would have because it would have been a laugh uh but i can't i've got to go teach a class in a couple of hours so he said okay um how about i come and and uh i'll come you know come in and drop in and just say hello to some people there now i obviously i i hoped whenever i have someone come and visit 
uh, I always try, I always offer them to come and, uh, and uh, you know, come and train with me afterwards because I, I, te- I taught every week. So whenever I would do a podcast during the week, mm. we'd do, it, do one during the day and then try and get people to come afterwards. Uh, and sometimes I got them, sometimes I didn't. My students would never know. I would just bring people very randomly. They would turn up and, and, and you know, I, I would always reward. I, I wouldn't tell people that someone was coming because then you get loads of people come and they only come when they've got a big name coming. So what I do is you reward the people who come every week by sometimes occasionally bringing in a big, a big name. So, uh, but everyone knew that I was interviewing with Kurt Osiander. So I think everyone sort of was going to come in. It was a Tuesday, which is the busiest class anyway. And they thought there was maybe a 5% chance that Kurt was going to show up. So anyway, um, I didn't think Kurt was going to come and he goes, fuck it. Let's go and say hello to the guys before we we go so i said that's awesome i'll drive you around to my gym you can say hello to everyone and then i'll stick you in a i'll stick you in an uber um i'll stick you in an uber back to wherever you need to go afterwards so uh he comes and he is pretty shit-faced at this point he's pretty tired i think he falls asleep in the car and uh he gets to the gym and you can tell that kurt is an extrovert you know he gets energy from people so people start filtering through it and people are just walking into the gym. Half of the people don't know who Kurt Osiander is and they just see this crazy, funny, drunk dude. Uh, and obviously half the people know exactly who Kurt Osiander is and they can't believe like, what the fuck? I've walked into the gym and Kurt Osiander's randomly standing there. So uh, he starts getting energy as people come in and start getting pictures and start chatting to him. He starts getting pumped up. So anyway, the class starts. I start teaching and Kurt goes... Do you want me to teach a technique? There was no plan from the teacher technique. He goes, Do you want me to teach a technique? I said, Of course I fucking want you to teach a technique. So he jumps over the side of the barrier and he comes into the middle of the mat. And I, th- I was teaching uh, stand in the past of God, close God. Mm. And he goes, uh, I think he walks up to the mat and he like screams, If you're in a fucking fight, you're in a fucking fight. Just like that. And everyone kind of stops and looks at him. <laughs> And uh, everyone comes in and he proceeds to teach uh, opening the guard by punching someone in the face. <laughs> and everyone, you know what it is? With Kurt, what you're doing is Kurt is like, he's like the Betty Harner of, 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 of grappling, right? You heard of Benny Harner before? Yeah. yeah. Benny Harner is like, it's, it's, it's dinner and a show where, where, where the, the entertainment is the cooking. That's what Kurt Osiander is. It's not a jiu-jitsu class. It's a jiu-jitsu class and entertainment at the same time. And then mixed together. Uh, he was in su- super entertaining. Everybody loved the uh, class, even though it was completely ridiculous. Everyone loved it. Uh, and, then, um, and then everyone was practicing the technique. And they said, uh, his manager said, do you mind if we film technique of the week here? So then we, we filmed with his very famous YouTube show, mm. Technique of the Week. And he filmed one of the techni- techniques of the week at Mill Hill on me. Uh, and everyone everyone had a great time and loved it. Was looking forward to being on his YouTube channel. But yeah, uh, Kurt, Kurt is a really funny guy. I was, I was meant to be going to, going to um, California in July, actually, to do some training. And I was hoping to, uh, to, 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 to hook up with Kurt again. Yeah, cool guy. Uh, where do we... Again... These these stories. How, how do you even like go into any of this sort of stuff? I was gonna sort of see if any other guests had interesting stories, but where did you even where did you even go from that? I sort of okay. 
Yeah. I don't think yeah. Theon Davis Kurt got Kurt you know absolutely wanked as well. I've imagined she was a bit more you know <laughs> graceful. Nah, Theon's a really Theon's a really interesting one because uh, you know I spoke to Theon right on the precipice, right before she got, she kind of skyrocketed to stardom. Fionn's someone that I want to talk to, uh, and, and I was lucky enough that Fionn came and trained afterwards when I got some rounds in with Fionn. Uh, she was still a brown belt when I interviewed her, but yeah, looking forward to chatting to her again since she's become you know, the greatest grappler to come out of the country and one of the best in the world. Uh, but yeah, I can't, I can't think of anyone who can really quite match a Kurt Ossianda story, but that's exactly what you expect, isn't it? I mean, it, I, how do you even begin? I mean, it's one of those things that you hear this kind of people, you see him on YouTube, you think, is that a show? Is that really him? And then to hear, like, not only know, is he like, like that, that, but he's actually pleasantly like that. He's not like, I don't know. Because you can imagine when it comes to that kind yeah, of, yeah. yeah, under intoxication, it can be a bit, you know, messy. But no, he sounded like he had more of a show with it instead of, you know, a bit more... I well, I think I think uh, you know when when you've got a bull that's running around, you can either stand in front of it and 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 risk getting gorged by the horns, or you can strap on, get on the saddle, hold on as tight as you can, and enjoy the ride. So with Kurt Osiander, it's kind of the latter. You gotta, um, yeah. With all with all of these crazy characters, they they're, they're going to do what they're going to do. Don't try and stop it. Just try and enjoy the ride. Fantastic. And on that wonderful tangent, where can people find you? <laughs> uh, wow, it depends what they want to find. Uh, many places to find me if you want to uh, listen to or watch the aforementioned uh, Rosbreak podcast. Uh, you can find that on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. Uh, just search for uh, Rosbreak podcast. YouTube channel is youtube.com forward slash Rosbreak podcast. Uh, you can email me if you're interested about the podcast, email me at podcast at rosbreape.com. Otherwise, just email me at dan at rosbreape.com. You can go to my website. It's actually down at the moment, but it should be up soon, which is rosbreape.com. Um, Instagram and Twitter, mainly use Instagram, is rosbre underscore ape. Uh, and yeah, that's about it. Thank you for listening, guys. And this episode has been sponsored by Mauler MMA. Use code FC. MMA 20 at checkout on mallermma.com for 20% off on all products.